good evening, inmates, and welcome to another episode of the Padded Room Podcast, Outpatient Files. Joining me today is somebody that needs no introduction in the horror community. He's probably your favorite director of Stephen King adaptations and is here tonight to talk about his upcoming anthology release, Nightmare Cinema. Inmates, I give you Mr. Mick Garris. Mr. Garris, how are you today? (laughs) I'm good, Darren. Thanks. And it's Mick, please. Well, thank you very much, sir. Uh, I'm a huge fan. I'm going to tell you right up front. I love all of your work. You'll know Mick from not only the Stephen King adaptations, but also Critters 2, Psycho 4, um, just to name a few. Also, the Masters of Horror anthology series that ran on Showtime for a short while. Mick, how was that? How was it organizing that entire series? How did you enjoy that experience? One of the best experiences of my life. You know, we we had total creative control. I was able to bring in filmmakers who I admired, who were my heroes, um, and allow them to do work independently in ways they had not been able to in years. To be able to to produce movies by John Carpenter, Toby Hooper, Dario Argento, Stuart Gordon, you know, John Landis, Larry Cohen. Uh, just how could you not love that? That right. was an amazing experience. Absolutely. Since we're on the topic of the Masters of Horror, I ha- I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, was it your decision to pull Takashi Miki- Miki's, uh segment, or was that Showtime's? Oh, hell not mine. (laughs) (laughs) I was all for it. No, um, it was definitely Showtime. Interestingly, Showtime had given us uh, a handful of rules not to break, like children being Mm -hmm. killed by adults or, you know, there there were five of them. And uh, Imprint did not break any of those rules, but it was just so intense that they said, no matter what you do to this, we're not going to run it. Oh, wow. So... We thought, that'll be great. We'll sell tons of DVDs because of that. (laughs) And then, uh, well, Walmart was the biggest. They sold 40% of the DVDs in the U.S. at the time. And they said, oh, if Showtime's not carrying it, we're not carrying it. Oh, no. It didn't work out the way we hoped. But we still made something uh, groundbreaking and historic. (laughs) I agree. Let's talk a little bit about Nightmare Cinema, shall we? Now, you directed the final show. Sure. That's dead, as well as the wraparound. Sorry, you, you directed the final segment, dead. Is that correct? Yes. As well as the wraparound. That's right, and the wraparounds. Yeah. What was yes, your? What, that's what, right. What was your inspiration for dead? Well, you know, when I I made a movie called Riding the Bullet that was sort of an emo horror movie, uh, not exactly a ghost story, but right. something that was you know, very kind of deeply felt and emotional. And I had gone through more loss than I would like to think about. I've lost a couple of brothers and a sister. I've lost both parents. I've lost friends, people I've been close to. Mm -hmm. And um, to be able to do something about that kind of loss. And in the case of dead, it's a, a mother and father are both killed uh, and a, and a, by a carjacker, and their son escapes but is shot through the heart or near the heart and is in a hospital uh, technically dead for 17 minutes before he's brought back to life. And because he's been dead, he can see the recently dead around him in the hospital. So, but it's about the relationship between 
the late mother, the ghost of the mother, and the son. Um, and it's there's a moral quandary there. I won't go into too many spoilers and the like, but right. there is a push-pull about life and death for a couple of reasons, and, and um, it becomes complicated. Uh, there are some things done for some bad things done, but for good reasons. And uh, uh, the complications of that, which which will come clear when you see the story, are, are what I wanted to do something about. I remember the first thing I ever directed was a Disney TV movie, and it's about a young kid who gets lost, and then when he's found by his parents, there's, you know, he's been missing for a couple of days, and, and it's emotional and this and that, but my wife told me, you know, you never even had them hugging. And I realized that that was true. And there was this kind of disconnect between mother and son that wouldn't happen in real life. So I kind of went uh, 180 degrees in the other direction and, and turned it into something much more emotionally resonant. Absolutely. And I, now that you say that, I can actually see the parallels between writing the bullet and dead. And they're actually very similar stories in structure. I, I understand that now. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the wraparound. Yeah, it's... Uh, your, casting choice, no, your, your casting choice for Mickey Rourke, was that somebody that you had in mind all yeah. along, or did that just kind of fall on your lap? In a way, it fell in my lap. Uh, one of the producers of the movie, um, Mark Canton, had been the head of Warner Brothers. He was the head of Columbia Pictures when I was making Sleepwalkers. Mm -hmm. um, he, it was his idea. Uh, I had a couple of people in mind, but uh, Canton said, look, Mickey Rourke is a friend of mine. Mickey Rourke is an Academy Award-nominated uh, actor. Mickey Rourke is a movie star, and I think I can get him to play the projectionist. I can only get him for a day, but I think I can get him to do it. What do you think? And that was hard to say no to, you know, <laughs> getting somebody for the, our scrappy little independent movie who's a movie star to do that was a really great opportunity. And it turns out it helped that he was perfect for the role. He's very unsettling, intimidating, um, and uh, can be, I wouldn't want him to be my enemy. I'll put it that way. <laughs> uh, and it, it works so well for basically the the uh, the watchman over uh, a haunted movie theater that's filled with the lives of many, many people uh, who have passed and their fears that have been absorbed onto this screen. I agree. I, th I thought it worked out very nicely, sir. Oh, great. Thank you. Um, as far as the, the choice of directors you went with, I actually had David Slade on the show about a week ago. Did you handpick these guys, or did they come to oh, you? Oh, great. No, these, these were, each one of them was my very first pick. Oh, very I cool. knew I wanted to do something international. Um, and, uh, you know, Joe Dante and I have been friends since the 70s. Mm -hmm. uh, we worked together doing Masters of Horror um, you know, he'd even directed one of the episodes of amazing stories I had written. So it goes way back. <clears throat> and he was on my old Z channel interview show. I had met, um, Ryuhei and David at masters of horror dinners that the dinners that became the kind of jumping off point for masters of horror and Ryuhei, I had met at a screening of midnight meat train. 
And all of these guys have very distinctive cinematic voices. And I wanted to do a mix. The original idea was uh, an anthology that was shot around the world with international filmmakers, but doing this on our independent budget and doing it all in L.A. These were guys who lived in L.A., Mm -hmm. but represented countries from around the world. And I knew there would be great creative diversity uh, from all these filmmakers, each of whom had established a cinematic voice that was very much their own. So, yeah, they were my first first choices, and, and I couldn't be happier with with the assortment of filmmakers on display here. Absolutely. Uh, I think it definitely worked out nicely. And let me be one of the first to congratulate you on a very well-done anthology series, sir. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I can't, can't wait for the public to get their mitts on it. <laughs> I, I agree completely. Uh, I'd be remiss, though, to ask you not ask you the difficult question of having seen and, you know, put the movie together. Do you have a favorite segment in this anthology? Yours notwithstanding, of course. That would that would be really difficult for me because <laughs> they are wildly, wildly different from each other, aside from these filmmakers being my friends. But in all honesty, they're so different from each other that I, I could never put them uh, against one another in, in a ranking. You know, they, they all, I love them all for different reasons, you know. Of course. Each of them, Joe Dante's has very much a Twilight Zone feel, and I love that about it. Uh, and it was written by Richard Christian Matheson, who was the son of Richard Matheson, who wrote like a third of the original Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. So it has that feeling. And Alejandro's is so hilarious, and you think it's going in one direction, and it takes a big turn, a 180-degree turn, and takes you somewhere you'd never expect to go. David Slade's is such an art house horror movie that really is gripping and has its own tension and pace to it, and it's in black and white. And then uh, Ryuhei's is so unbelievably bloody in ways that you <laughs> never anticipate that I, you know, I, I'm so tempted to give spoilers, but I won't because right. there are so many surprises in this movie and it goes in places that, that you don't expect that are so, some of them are so gleefully outrageous uh, that, um, and taboo busting that uh, I don't want to spoil that for anybody. But but they all, I love them all for different reasons, and, and, and mainly because I love all these filmmakers and their work, and, and, and they reflect their, their personalities so completely. Of course. Um, also, I'd be also remiss if I let you get out of here without plugging your own podcast, Postmortem with Mick Garris. How, <laughs> how, how have you found the podcasting experience to be thus far, sir? I, I really enjoy it. You know, I've been doing interviews since I was in school. My first interview for my high school paper was Ray Bradbury, and Rod Serling was my second interview. And then I started uh, mostly working as a as a rock music journalist and interviewing Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin and people like that when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I I love the interview process and I, I, I learned something from every interview I've ever done and it's one of the reasons I still do it now. It's certainly not to make a living <laughs> podcasting not being the most profitable venture that there is. 
But, you know, uh, interviewing John Carpenter, interviewing Stephen King, interviewing uh, Peter Medak or, or any of these people, even the filmmakers that you may not be familiar with, like Coralie Fargia or, or Ari Aster, you know, the younger filmmakers that only have made one really impression-making film, mm -hmm. it's great to, to be able to, to evolve as an artist and as a fan by talking to people and figuring out what makes them tick. And, and I do it because I love it, and I, and I love this genre, and I love watching it change and being part of the wave that, that continues that, that evolution. Right, that's that's why we're all here. I feel like you know that's why the the horror podcasting community exactly. is coming up. All right, sir. I know you're kind of exactly. pressed for time today, so I'll let you get out of here. I just have one more question before you go. Um, you have made an, quite the Great. name for yourself as the Stephen King adaptation guy. Is what what is your relationship like with Stephen King? Well, he's one of my favorite people on earth. We're, we're friends. We get along great. Um, we've worked together really well. Uh, and, you know, you could not be in business with a more wonderful partner than to work with Stephen King. But, but it does go beyond that. It's, we come from different, uh, very similar backgrounds. We're a few years apart, but not that many. And mm -hmm. we have a lot of the same cultural touchstones. We, we were both brought up by single mothers and, you know, we, we, we love the genre, uh, as, as if we were still 12 years old, but he's just a really great human being. He's a lot of fun to be with. He's encouraging. And, uh, you know, because I've done so much work with him, a lot of people think that it's because I'm his bitch. But <laughs> <laughs> he has, has, he's never once in, in our times together, the many times we've worked together, he's never once said, you know, I think you should do it this way. Or I think this would be an interesting shot. Or I think this character would do this. Mm -hmm. He has always given me the rope to hang myself. It, it's a great relationship. It's a great friendship, but it, it's a great working relationship as well, and one that I will cherish for the rest of my life. Absolutely. It sounds... It's